is up, everybody? Welcome into Lockdown Tigers. I'm your host, Chris Castellani. It is Friday, March 12, 2021. Thank you for tuning in today. I've been scrambling the last couple days to try to get a guest on the podcast, and, and I went for a guy that I thought was probably a little bit more accessible, my friend Scott Bentley, and we're going to get him on the pod early next week. And you know, The guy stays busy, and I, I respect the heck out of him for him. The dude's a workhorse. But I, I kind of threw a Hail Mary pass last night to try to get Bailey, a.k.a. Foolish Baseball, on the pod, and he accepted. And that's going to be what you're going to be listening to today. So much fun talking with him about his YouTube channel, talking with him about the Atlanta Braves, the team that he's a fan of, Larry Walker, all that fun stuff. Really, really looking forward to having all of you hear this. This guy is one of my favorite people on the internet. He's brought me so much joy in listening to him kind of talk about his YouTube page and all that fun stuff was really, really enjoyable. So as I stated before, look, there's always a time to talk about spring training games. I understand that, but there does come a point where the product itself might feel a little bit stale, and I don't want that. I think with an interview like this, the last thing uh, I come away from this believing is that this is a stale product. I think we did an awesome job with this interview. I'm really proud of it. Please sit back, listen, and enjoy my interview with Foolish Baseball. All right, everybody. Welcome in. We have uh, a, a very special guest with us today. We are joined by Bailey, a.k.a. Foolish Baseball. He has amassed over 160,000 subscribers on YouTube. He's been featured in The Athletic. Major League Baseball knows who he is. Justin Verlander knows who he is. Pretty soon, the whole world, I think, will know who he is. Bailey, thank you very much for joining us today, buddy. Yes, and now Locked on Tigers knows who I am. Oh, I know. That's that's the biggest of deals, right? Yeah. yeah that's really good. That's, you're going to move up the ladder soon here, soon enough. Um, I appreciate you joining us, man. And, and, and my first question, you know, wh- whenever I have content creators on, my first question is always like, what, what was the moment where things clicked for you? But I was watching, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching your video on your other channel where you talked about how you started Foolish Baseball. And I could kind of assume that the moment where the volcano sort of erupted was the Justin Verlander's impossible inning video. And so uh, my first question to you is going to be that has it, since this whole thing really, you know, kicked into that other gear, has it ever felt overwhelming? Because you said yourself that you were recording the voiceover for those videos in your car. And a few weeks later, one of the greatest pitchers of all time is tweeting at you. Uh, Has there been a point where the exposure has been anxiety inducing, or have you kind of just rolled with the punches? Um, I I do feel a sense of, Anxiety, maybe not quite the word, but I feel like I owe people something at this point. Like, you know, the people who watch my channel, uh, whether that's if they're frequent viewers, whether, you know, if that's one-time viewers, whether it's people who, you know, follow me on Twitter and and still support me through like Patreon financially. I think I just feel a sense of not anxiety, but responsibility. And I feel like I have to always, you know, try to outdo myself and make the best video I can, because now I know there are people that are watching and, and that gives it stakes. Oh, I, I get that completely. And I mean, look, what you're what you're known for is it's a good thing to be known for, for sure, to, to be kind of your first exposure, be something that was you know, very analytical, but also very funny. I mean, I think that to a lot of people, it's kind of like being an actor where, where the what you're the first thing that people see you for is kind of what you're known for. And for that video to uh, blow up the way it did, I think it was a good first step, uh, first introduction to a lot of your stuff. And, and you're so you're so detail oriented. And you, one thing about you that I, th- I just love is that you've noticed things like irregularities in the game of baseball that other people just haven't noticed. You know, I'm, I'm a huge baseball fan, but I'll be honest. I didn't know who Tim LaCastro was before your video. And uh, I, I knew who Jeff Mathis was. You were one of the first people to notice that Juan Soto was a, a generational bat. 
do you make a concerted effort to be a guy who notices things before other people do, or has it just been kind of, kind of a coincidence for you so far? No, I think it is a concerted effort. I mean, really when I'm looking for video topics, I'm looking for outliers, you know, I'm looking for players who are extreme in one way or another, or teams that are extreme in one way or another. And I think just kind of among the baseball YouTube landscape, I, I feel like that, when I'm at my best is when I'm making a video that only I could make. And whether that's, you know, the topic or whether that's, you know, what I'm doing visually or, or in terms of writing, that's where I feel most comfortable is when I'm working on something that only I myself would do. I, I, and that's awesome. And it shows like incredible confidence. Cause, and I was watching one of the videos that you did on foolish Bailey, where you kind of talked about that, where you, you know, it was kind of a goal from the beginning that you were seeing that there was kind of a, a a hole there in terms of how people talked about baseball on the internet. And I think you you kind of uh, exposed something that was, you know, a market that hadn't been uh, tapped into. And I think it's why you've become, you know, so successful. And and one, one of the big reasons I think why your videos have, have stuck is the fact that you appeal to different sides of the aisle. Like, like a baseball fan like myself, I could listen to you talk about spin rate and batted ball data forever but you know you're, you're also really funny and you have a way of explaining things to the layman in a way that's genuinely unique I guess like how do you find that balance is it in the editing you know when you're writing do you make a conscious effort to put in a joke every few minutes or how do you find that kind of sweet spot between analytically driven making sure you get all the all the data stuff right and making sure that it's accessible for for the outsider as well I mean, I think that's still a balance that I'm working to find. So, mm -hmm. you know, my most recent video that I put out uh, was about, you know, sort of ideas of how to fix Major League Baseball and how to make it better. And that was a very sort of serious in tone video. You know, I can't recall more than maybe one or two jokes that were in it. And that's a 15 minute video. The one I'm working on now and that's going to uh, hopefully come out this weekend is, you know, tonally the humor is there. Like there's just, you know, it's kind of like rapid fire jokes and I think a lot of it just depends on subject matter. I think a lot of it just depends on uh, just kind of the mood I'm in when I'm writing, honestly, because I do notice that there is like this, this constant like tightrope back between serious, you know, do I want to be like a serious baseball analyst or do, or, you know, is this still just for fun? And I want to be able to kind of meet that right in the middle um, in terms of, you know, integrating in analytics, I think that's something I struggle with as well. And that's something I have to always be conscientious about because I can't just make videos for the people that are fans of the channel. You know, I want to grow. Right. And so if you're watching a foolish baseball video for the first time and I say, you know, OPS plus or something like that, I should really make sure that it, people understand that, you know, this is a park adjusted, you know, ear adjusted stat where 100s average. And if that's, if that's all the lip service I have to pay, then that's something I have to be willing to do, you know? Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. We're covering everything you need to know about the Tigers, but what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
I, I want the, when I first knew that I was going to have the chance to interview you, there was one guy that I wanted to talk about one, one player I wanted to ask you about. And that's, that's Larry Walker. And, and for people who uh, on the outside, maybe may, may not know about this, you know, Larry Walker, former expo Rocky and, and Cardinal great. He's now in the hall of fame in early 2019. I think it was January of 2019. You released a video, which now has about 300,000 views uh, where you asked you know, hall of fame writers and voters to, to reconsider a Larry Walker, his voting went, way up in 2019 and ultimately he was voted in in 2020 you seem like a very humble guy but is there a part of you that thinks like yeah you know what maybe maybe i had a little maybe i had a little bit of a, of a shot there maybe I, I gave larry larry walker a little bit of a push there and helped him kind of get over the edge and get into the hall of fame yeah i think my influence was what i would call indirect rather than direct so like if i was directly influencing the vote you know, what would have happened is, so Larry Walker got in by six votes, right. uh, which was a pretty small amount. So if I, you know, flipped, you know, if six Hall of Fame voters watched the video and changed their mind, that would have been, you know, directly influencing the vote. I think what I was part of was sort of this bigger overall, like, zeitgeist where, you know, when Larry Walker first hit the ballot, there was a huge logjam. And there were mm-hmm. a lot of future Hall of Famers on the ballot. And that's why he was getting such low vote totals early on in his candidacy and once that log jam was cleared up and he was you know suddenly one of the better players on the ballot in fact you know the best player on the ballot that doesn't have the steroid allegations looming over him i think i was contributing to that zeitgeist of hey i know this guy's been on the ballot for seven or eight years let's take another look you know and i think that's kind of uh where that video uh played a role i think it just made it okay to go back and look at Larry Walker, even though he'd been on the ballot for seven or eight years and hadn't played in 13, you know? For sure. And I think that one of the great things about analytics is that, like I said, it allows us to reflect back on players who maybe, maybe were overlooked and Tiger's great. Alan Trammell is like a prime example of that, where you look at the, the, the data, this is a guy who was one of the best players of his era, one of the best shortstops ever. And yet, when he played outside of a monster 1987 season was never really viewed as one of like the premier players in baseball necessarily, but over time, his career aged a lot better. And now he's in the hall of fame other than current twin shortstop, Andrelton Simmons, who you already made a great video about where you said that he has kind of a hall of fame candidacy already, which I agree with. Who do you think is a player right now who might be, similar to who might have the kind of trajectory like Larry Walker did a guy who puts up good numbers, but it might not be till after the fact when we go back and look at his career and we're like, wow, that guy was way better than I remember him being. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's harder to find that player these days because I think there is like a great or like a heightened awareness of these analytics. Mm -hmm. That being said, Evan Longoria, I think is a player that is going to be kind of, you know, if Scott Rowland gets into the Hall of Fame, which I think he will, Longoria yeah. is going to be Scott Rowland, you know, light basically. And Longoria had an all right season last year with really good batted ball data. And so going forward, if this is a guy that throws down, you know, one or two more good seasons or even one or two more average seasons, I think you're going to reach a point where you look at his war total and you're like, wow, this guy's going to be, you know, seriously considered for, for the Hall of Fame, even though, people haven't really thought about Evan Longoria since he left Tampa. So I think that would be definitely one active player I look at that's that has the potential to be a, a Hall of Famer, but isn't really seen as that way right now. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. And, and my follow-up to that is, do you believe that who a player plays for could positively or negatively uh, 
impact whether or not they get voted into the Hall of Fame. Because like Derek Jeter had that, you know, and Derek Jeter deserved to be in the Hall of Fame first ballot. But Derek Jeter had the advantage of playing in that in that kind of in that big market in New York. A lot of people saw him. Evan Longoria probably, I mean, subject to change, right, with some of the players they got now. But Evan Longoria is was the face of a, of a franchise for a long time and no disrespect to this franchise, but it was Tampa Bay. Do you feel like sometimes there's certain players who maybe get overlooked because of the market? Yeah, I think the market can definitely factor in as well as, you know, just if they work on consistently good teams. Um, but I think maybe right. the biggest factor is, is not necessarily what team they played for, but if there's a franchise that they stuck with for a long time that they're so like easily identifiable with. So like Longoria is kind of on the border of that because he was like a huge deal in Tampa, but now he has played a decent amount of his career outside of Tampa. But I think you look at some of the journeyman type careers, like, you know, if Kenny Lofton had played for the same team for his whole career, I'm sure his candidacy would have gone down a lot differently if if he hadn't, you know, played for many teams, he did still play the majority of his career in Cleveland, but he played for like probably eight other teams besides them. And so I think when you look at players who bounced around teams, what happens is they reach the ballot and it's like, who's supposed to go to bat for these guys? You know, like we looked at guys in the past, like, you know, Edgar, you know, obviously, you know, every person in Seattle was going to, you know, rally for Edgar. But when you have guys who, you know, who played, you know, four or five year chunks on different teams, the their candidacy can can take a different shape i think and that can be uh not an advantage and a guy who i think is going to suffer from that a lot is zach Greinke, who in my opinion is is a hall of fame caliber pitcher but and i saw this on baseball's subreddit last week but it was it, it was kind of a jokey thing but they made a good point of like if zach Greinke were to get elected into the hall of fame which cap would he wear and well right. that shouldn't have like much of an impact i do think that when you when you're there is kind of that eye test and there's also like just what you remember about a player. You think about, you know, Justin Verlander, when he gets voted into the hall of fame, you're going to think, Hey, he had all those great years with the tigers. Granky had that um, like amazing transcendent year with the Royals. He had probably his best season in 2015 and the greatest Cy Young race, arguably of all time. That was just an insane year where Jake Arrieta decided to be the greatest pitcher of all time for a calendar year. He's been very good with the diamondbacks. He's been very good with the Astros, but yeah, I think that's another guy who might suffer from that uh, going forward and you know, going back, um, going back to the analytics stuff real quick. And you know, I, you're a huge analytics guy and I, I am as well, but over the last, over the last several years, you know, I I've loosened my stance a little bit, on this stuff because, and I don't know how you feel about this, but like to me, Blake Snell getting pulled in game six last year because maybe the data supported it. I like, in my opinion was nonsense. And now again, that was not necessarily a Kevin cash decision. We're at a point now where we've never been in baseball, where front offices are kind of making decisions for the managers at this point. Uh, But the guy was pitching the game of his life. And do you feel like perhaps we're at a point now because over the last 10 years, there's been such a push to push analytics and we're there, but do you feel like we could get to a point where we've gone so far in one direction regarding analytics that we're losing touch with the kind of humanity that makes the game fun and unpredictable sometimes? Yeah. Well, I think the teams that do embrace that humanity have a chance to really, uh, taken advantage over the teams that have taken this really cookie cutter analytics approach. And, you know, whether that's, you know, trying not to get into ugly arbitration spats with uh, franchise players, you know, uh, whether that's, uh, you know, really taking the players input into, you know, their decision-making. And I, this was talked about recently with Jock Peterson 
um, who has left the Dodgers, he, he didn't like the Dodgers playing for them defensively because he felt like they had complete control over his positioning and that, and, and that the end effect was that he didn't control his own destiny uh, in terms of his defensive numbers. So I think that teams that do embrace that humanity uh, eventually are going to have an advantage over the teams that are just, you know, cookie cutter analytics. So I, I do think we can reach that point. I agree. And it's one of the reasons why I'm, I was so gung ho about the Tigers hiring AJ Hinch to be their manager. Cause I think you have a guy there who kind of finds that balance. I mean, you go back to 2017 as tainted as it may be his decision to bring McCullers in, you know, to have him throw, you know, you know, I mean, that wasn't his decision, but throwing 23 consecutive curveballs or whatever it was bringing him out of the pen. Uh, he seems like a guy who's kind of but that perfect blend between analytically minded and, and going with his gut. Now, speaking of the Tigers, you, uh, again, before the world ended, you visited uh, Tiger Spring training last year for a little bit, and you got to talk to to Daz Cameron. I guess just what were some of your general impressions that you got out of out of Tiger's camp and the little bit that you were able to see? Yeah, um, I think the Tigers have like a really good sense of community. You know, I just kind of felt like just whether it was among the players, whether it was among you know the employees of the team, I think there's just a good sense of camaraderie there, which I thought was admirable considering you know, the Tigers organization in many ways has been a revolving door for the past, you know, few seasons. There's been a lot Correct. of, a lot of players have left, a lot have come in. Um, so I think that was definitely an impression of mine. And I think looking forward to the, to the future of the Tigers, I think it's just simply a question of when are they going to sign their Eric Hosmer or Manny Machado, right? Because it, it wasn't this off season. I felt like there's maybe a chance it would be this off season, but I don't see a core of position players that's going to lead them to winning seasons necessarily. I see good pitching, obviously, um, but yeah, they're just, it's just going to come down to when are they going to be willing to spend money because you kind of have to spend money before you're good. I think the Padres kind of have, have shown that you're, 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 you're mirroring so many things that I've said on the podcast and I appreciate it. I mean, the, I've brought this up a million times, but I'll, I'll bring it up to you here. You know, there is a, a comparison, kind of a, a strange mirror here to what happened with the Tigers in the early 2000s where you know they bottomed out and they lost 118 games or 119 games in 2003 three years later they were in the world series and they didn't get it back all at once you know the that first offseason they signed Pudge Rodriguez and they bring in Carlos Guillen and it was a slow process and I would say 2019 losing 114 games is kind of comparable to what happened in 03 and everyone's saying okay what are the next steps forward and they got Scope and Crone who are two serviceable solid major league players I, I think this offseason has really frustrated a lot of people because you had so many players on the market, especially in a year like this where so many players were non-tendered and you could have had the mm-hmm. opportunity. And I know you tweeted about it. My friend Scott Bentley started the whole da- doll to Detroit uh, thing, thing that went on there. But th- that thing was stooped like in legit realism, the idea of, okay, let's get a guy who was an all-star a couple seasons ago, who was not very good at last year and in a COVID year and see if we can bring him in and do something. And instead it's the same kind of, uh, bargain bins, uh, no, uh, signings that we've seen over the last several years. The Padres that you use are a prime example, but even even something smaller than that, the the White Sox rebuild to me, you know, and this offseason was not great for them with the Larusa controversy. But even besides that, you know, they re they they have a loaded lineup, and their rebuild started six months later than the Tigers did, or maybe six months earlier. I'm sorry, than the Tigers did, and they're you know about to be gangbusters right now, and it's it's been. Uh, very frustrating. We're waiting for that moment when they, when they go out and spend. 
We have been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all bars. But now is the time to find out which Built Bar is the best. It is Built Bar Madness. Go to BuiltBar.com or to at Built underscore Bar on Twitter. Remember to use the promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order. That is promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the next best tasting protein bar. Fantasy Baseball Addicts, you now have a new resource to help give you an advantage in your leagues. Lockdown Fantasy Baseball, it's a daily fantasy baseball podcast hosted by veteran fantasy analyst Scott Cullen, who uses data and nearly two decades of fantasy baseball experience to offer the strategies and waiver wire pickups that lead to league wins. Season-long fantasy, dynasty leagues, DFS, Locked On Fantasy Baseball covers it all. Subscribe to Lockdown Fantasy Baseball wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I know you're a Braves fan. Have you been frustrated? Because that's a team that's so close. Mm-hmm. Have you been frustrated with the kind of lack of conviction in regards to who they've signed? Or do you kind of look at bringing back Marcelo Zuna and bringing in Charlie Morton? And you're like, all right, that, that's that's good enough. Yeah, I think good enough is kind of the it's the it's a strength and a weakness of the Braves. I think they've reached a point where they're like pretty comfortable with how good the team is. And I don't see a willingness to push it to try to be like the Dodgers or try to even be like the Padres, who I think are both better than the Braves on paper. But yeah, I mean, I think they're at a point where they're good enough to get to the playoffs consistently, which is what they wanted. They're always going to have their financial flexibility because they don't have a lot of long-term money tied up into the team right now. And the long-term money they do have is like the Albies and Acuna contracts, which are just like, I mean, those two contracts alone should like make this team like a huge spender because as long as they have those under like those two on the books for such a cheap amount of money, like that should be like their green light to, to, you know, go sign whoever they want. But um, yeah, I mean, I think they're uh, I think they're a good team. I think they're probably the favorites in the NL East. And as long as they're poised to make the playoffs consistently over the next few years, I think uh, there's a certain level of comfort there. And what's interesting is that Anthopolis, who's the Braves GM, when he was in Toronto, it was different. Like he, he had that moment where he really went for it and he was trading for Donaldson and it worked. You know, he traded away Cindergaard when he was a prospect. That didn't really work. You know, he got R.A. Dickey in return. And so I think um, it's been much more conservative approach from Anthopolis because he did, when he was in Toronto, he did have that moment where he just, you know, completely went for it and they had their short window. And then when that time ran out, you know, Toronto had to rebuild. You know, you've been on, on YouTube now for a while. Videos have blown up. I've seen you everywhere. And what's been like one moment that stands out to you as being like that surreal moment where you were just like, wow, this is, this is just like this kind of side hustle I was doing for a while. And now it's like a legitimate thing. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the Justin Verlander video was definitely that moment of, I I have to take this seriously now, you know? So like the timeline for me kind of goes, I dropped the Justin Verlander video in um, uh, December, 2018. Uh, I quit my part-time job at a homeless shelter that, that February. So February, 2019. And then I moved out a few months after that. Um, But if you're looking for another moment besides that, I would say when I dropped that Tim LaCastro video, uh, which came in, I believe October, 2019, Mm -hmm. um, that was the moment where, I had taken it full time, but that was the moment where I felt like comfortable for the first time. And, and that video kind of gave me the opportunity to have a really nice sponsorship with the athletic. And that was kind of when I felt like, 
okay, I think that I've made this work and that I can probably keep doing this uh, as a job. So I think when I made that Tim LaCastro video and it blew up, and the other thing about that Tim LaCastro video is that it came off the heels of me making videos about like stars, you know, like Willie Mays, Clayton Kershaw, uh, Juan Soto. And then when I was inspired to make this Tim LaCastro video, and then that was the one that did gangbusters and now has over a million views, that really just gave me permission to, um, you know, keep pursuing some of these weird players. And I think the success of that LaCastro video is what allowed me to make videos about, you know, Jeff Mathis and Rod Barajas. And again, it's, it's finding that perfect balance because I mean, I think that it, there is, you see Clayton Kershaw on the thumbnail of a baseball video. People are going to be inclined to watch guys. One of the greatest pitchers of all time, you know, three, three times Cy Young winner, but there is something unique and special. I think it's one of the reasons why people keep coming back to your videos is that you take a guy that a whole lot of people hadn't heard of. And you talk about him so passionately for 15 to 20 minutes. I think it, it, it brings people in. And now like he's, he's become at least on baseball Twitter. He's a meme at this point, right? What, what, uh, what's what's happened with him and, and Jeff Mathis as well, who'd been a veteran for so long. You brought up a, a few minutes ago, when you're talking about the Braves, you brought up the Acuna and Albies contracts. And it seems like, that is the direction that so many baseball GMs are going in. Let's sign guys to an extent to extensions in their prime years. I think one of the reasons, one of the reasons why teams are doing that now is because they've seen what a team like the Tigers did over several years ago. And they're like, Hey, let's give Upton and Mark Lowe and Mike Pelfrey and Jordan Zimmerman, these ridiculous contracts in their thirties. I think now teams are finally starting to see the way and be like, we got, we got stars here. Let's sign them long-term with that said, what are your thoughts about the Fernando Tatis deal? Because I'm I'm very split on it. Yeah, I think it I think it's good. I have mostly positive feelings about it. Um, you know, I think what's happened with so many of these deals is that you can reach a point of fairness for both sides, um, in which you know, look, Fernando Tatis Jr. If he kept playing like this and then he hit free agency when he was 26, he was going to get more money than that, at least on an AAV basis sure but you know you for now Tatis Jr. is never gonna have to worry about money for the rest of his life and I mean he's already the son of a former big leaguer but anyone who signs a contract like that will never have to worry about money ever again I mean he's due it's 300 million and it's guaranteed I mean it's crazy and um, that's gonna keep him in San Diego for pretty much his you know his all of his prime you figure unless he's some sort of you know weird superhuman who's still good when he's 40 and um, yeah so I just think it's good I you know you can look at it in a few ways you can look at it as it's hey it's 320 million dollars for 14 years which sounds crazy or you can look at as 26 million aav for someone who might be the you know the best player in baseball for the next decade which seems pretty cheap but i think there's uh, i think they've they reached a point where it it's uh it's good for the game and i think that that's what makes it different from the acuna deal which is like eight years 100 million which is uh bananas considering how good he is yeah, that his deal and the Degrom deal as well. And Degrom a little bit different because he's you know, he debuted late. Uh, one thing I, I read a couple of weeks ago that he made his debut the same year Kershaw won his third Cy Young, and they're the same age. Or like the two, you know, most bargain signings or extensions to me in baseball. I just. I, I don't know if I could give anybody 13 years. Is just is the one thing that I I push back on when yeah. talking about that. And he's he's amazing. I think you know, and people. This is an overused thing that even I've talked about the idea of him being the face of baseball. But he was a show last year, really, in that kind of you know ridiculous 60 game season. He was you know appointment TV. It's just if he gives them eight great years, you could argue that the contract isn't 
isn't a success. And so for that reason, I've always been hesitant to be like, man, I don't know, 13 years, but I, I, I see your point completely. I mean, the guy's incredible. Another yeah. guy who's another guy who's incredible uh, that I wanted to bring up. Cause we've, you know, you've talked about him a bunch and I think it, sabermetricians hammer home this point, but I think even more so just the casual baseball fan, like, you know, I mean, you're, you're, we're more than casual, I guess, but talk about this guy. And that's, that's Mike Trout with the angels, which is with each passing day is becoming like more and more of a tragedy to me. And I don't want it to be because when look in his first two years, they didn't make the playoffs. The idea was all right. You know what? Not his time. The guy's really young. 2014, they had a great year. I mean, one of the most overlooked, kind of random, dominant teams of recent memory was that team just rolled, got swept out of the playoffs. I mean, completely dominated, haven't made it to the postseason since. Do you see a pathway for the Angels right now with with Trout in place to be, within the next three years, be a team that's that's competing for a World Series? Or is there is there going to come a point where you think they're going to have to kind of nut up or shut up and be like, man, we don't want to, but maybe the best option is to, to deal them. Yeah. Well, so I, one thing I would say just from my perspective of the game is that competing for a world series and making the playoffs are analogous in my mind, you know? So even if you don't, you don't have to necessarily build the best roster to win the world series. You just need to make it to the playoffs and see what happens. I Mm -hmm. think the 2019 nationals were pretty good indication of that. I mean, they took down the 2019 Astros, which is one of the greatest teams I think has been assembled in the last decade or so. Um, so, yeah, I think they can reach that point. I think there is a weakening in the uh, AL West that may aid that. I think the, the Astros have a have an aging core. You know, Verlander's not going to pitch for him the whole season. Granke's getting older. Springer's gone. Altuve's getting older, you know. And then, you know, Correa and Alvarez have injury concerns. So I think there's a lot of question marks there in Houston. And then Oakland, you know, people always count out Oakland, but I'm sure they're going to win 95 games this year. Um, right. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think the weakening in the AL West gives them a chance. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I just think they have a pretty good roster. I mean, not just Trout, they have Rendon. And I think Rendon is probably like a top five player in the game. I think he's just incredible. Um, I think there's enough in the pitching there that's, that's probably going to be worth getting excited over. I know they could have traded for Musgrove or signed Bauer or traded for Hendricks. And maybe there's a move like that coming next off season. But yeah, I mean, I can see them definitely being uh, in the mix for the AL West. And I think if they're in the mix for the AL West and they end up making the playoffs and then of course, in my mind, they would be in world series contention. So I have some optimism about the angels over the next few years. I just, uh, I just hope it happens. Cause um, you know, as upsetting as Trout's career has been in terms of his team success, you got to keep in mind, you know, Ted Williams is an all-time great. Right. He had to go fight in two wars and, and right. one World Series and hit 200. And, and, you know, he played for the Red Sox, which were like the most cursed franchise at the time. So mm-hmm. I think that's just something you kind of have to accept with being a baseball fan. You know, it's Barry Bonds never won a World Series either. Yeah, I, I don't – I've never bought into the whole – especially with baseball because it's so different – the whole, you know, to solidify your stance as an all-time great, you need to win X amount of championships. I mean, I think it gets kind of ridiculous in other sports as well. I mean, LeBron James is, and he's, he's the greatest, but he's hopped from team to team solely chasing because he knows that there is a group of people who will not view him in as high regard until he reaches championship number six, which I think is you know kind of ridiculous. We've watched a guy for 20 years, you know, ball out like crazy. And yet that's, that's the one standard that he's held to at the same time. I just, and I'm sure you agree with this as well. I just think it'd be, it's better for baseball when the best players 
are playing on the biggest stage. This is a Tigers podcast, and I will end with a Tigers question. I You've probably uh, spared yourself from having to watch them over the last several years, and, and you are, you're a smart man for doing so. But I, I like to ask you know, fans of opposing teams just as outsiders, because I understand for me personally, it probably gets very easy for me to get wrapped up in that vacuum. But just what's kind of your general impression of where they might be headed over the next several seasons now? Yeah, I would say that the destiny of this team is very much in the hands of the ownership, whether they are willing to spend money to get them over the hump. I think, you know, they're, they're a rebuilding club. They've been rebuilding for a while, to be honest that, with you. That's the problem, yes. Um, this has been going, I mean, they're on probably, what, three or four consecutive losing seasons now. I mean, this is going to be 2017 through 2020, so that was four, and this is... Yeah, and unless, they're going to have a losing season again. Uh, uh, unless A.J. Hinch it turns out to be, you know, the Bill Belichick of baseball, this is going to be losing season number five, so yeah. Yeah, which when you look at, I mean, White Sox was a really good comparison because they were in the division. Braves as well, like this is the time when they should have been theoretically starting to win, and it's not going to happen this year, in my opinion. Um, I see... Uh, great pitching prospects. I see Scooble. I see Mize. I see Manning. Um, I really like Paredes, uh, the the third baseman. I think he could factor in long term, but I just think there needs to be a core of hitters, you know, and that that core of hitters just isn't quite there. They have a lot of like utility type players who would be on a great team, like like a Nico Goodrum or like a Harold Castro or like a Willie Castro. Like those are guys that championship teams need. But those players are best suited in secondary roles where you have like these sort of like primary everyday players um, coming in. So they need they just need star power in terms of the offense. They haven't really developed it, so they'll have to go and sign it. And maybe it's maybe it's next offseason with the crazy free agent class of shortstops. Well, that, that's been my opinion is like if they if they don't sign a shortstop in next offseason, I think the collectively the fan base is going to be there's going to be a lot of people who are going to turn their backs on this team. And in terms of the position players. They, they've addressed it a little bit. Uh, obviously, Torkelson going number one overall in the draft yeah, is huge for them. Um, general belief seems to be Riley Green might have the highest ceiling of anybody in the organization. But that's you know that's two guys in, in, a, in a lineup of, of nine. This is We live in an age where you develop through the draft and you develop stars through the draft, and there hasn't been a lot of that recently. And you brought up other rebuilds for sure. And the White Sox, you know, the White Sox were middling for a long time, but when they hit the reset button, they were bad for three years. Yeah. Uh, the Astros, again, had been bad for a long time, but when they hit the reset button, bad for three years. Cubs for three years. The Mariners, who had that very good – again, obviously, a lot of jokes. They haven't made the, the postseason since that incredible 01 season, but they had a very good team in 2018. In a lot of years, would have made it to October. Didn't. Hit the reset button. Paxton gone. Diaz gone. Cano gone. They are closer right now to competing – than a team like Detroit is. And that's where it gets frustrating because there is a lot of bad luck involved. Like Justin Verlander being traded for a, a, a catching prospect who, who can't hit and, and a pitching prospect who gets injured all the time. That's some bad luck. But I think their inability to develop other uh, other position players has been has been extremely frustrating. Were you, because they hired Hinch in the offseason, uh, and I've, ta- I've gone back and forth until I was blue in the face about this. Were you one of those people who was, fine with the Tigers going out and getting a guy who is, you know, fresh off a one-year suspension? Yeah, I don't have any problem with it. I mean, that's, you know, if people feel like he should have been suspended for longer, that's, I mean, that's something that they should take offense to. They should take offense, take offense to the league, you know. I don't right. really, I'm not going to blame the Tigers for going up 
going and uh, getting uh, Mr. AJ Hinch, I think that was probably the best manager available. So, I mean, if anything, you should probably give them props. Um, I want to say you pointed out the Mariners and I think that's a great uh, comparison as well. I mean, the Thank Mariners you. are um, currently positioned to compete sooner. And I think maybe one reason why is because they've been able to develop players and then trade them, uh, which is something that we haven't seen the Tigers do is this, this flipping for prospects, which is a good thing to do when you're rebuilding. So, you know, we look at the Mariners who are able to develop someone like Austin Nola, turn around and get a really good prospect haul for them. You know, their farm system is just incredibly rich, not, not just in terms of the big names and the high upside guys like Kelnick and, and Rodriguez, but they've got, you know, good arms like, like Kirby and Gilbert. There's just, there's just a lot of good prospects worth getting excited about in Seattle. I think that Detroit has some of those guys, but you know, it's like you said, green Torkelson, Mice Manning, Scooble. And then, you know, it's just a lot of role players. It seems like. I've, I've talked with people about that before where there, there has been the whole debate of do the Tigers have the best farm system in baseball? And my response is, it's the best, most top-heavy farm system in baseball. But once you go beyond those big five, which really, and my my you know counterpoint to that is, yeah, if you suck for long enough, you should be getting a, a mize and and, yeah. and, a, and a manning. Their farm system should be better, honestly. I, I'm I'm with how bad they've been. <laughs> I'm with you completely. Now the fact is, there's two guys that they did develop that they should have shipped for prospects, and they didn't pull the trigger when they did. The one one big one being Michael Fulmer. Yeah. And Michael Fulmer was an absolute revelation in 2016. He was great in the first half of 17. And I think fans and the organization as well got a little bit attached. They saw we could have another Verlander here, not knowing what they were headed for. And there were reports that came out in the free press that the the Astros offered Bregman for Fulmer and they offered Baez for Fulmer, or the Cubs offered Baez for Fulmer. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's not. But the fact is he was easily the best pitcher on the market, and they held on to him. And Michael Fulmer today, fresh off his uh, second Tommy John surgery, which he had about two years ago now, uh, pitched two innings and gave up seven runs to the Blue Jays. And his fastball is topping out at 92. And that's not his fault. One of the toughest things to do is come back from a second Tommy John. Your heart breaks for the guy, but that was a big one. But the other one was, was Matt Boyd, who had – pitched about 30 <laughs> you're rolling your eyes look that, at that that trade deadline in 19 when he had so much going for him I, I, it never made any sense to me because Matt Boyd is at at his best a four in a rotation he's, he's okay you know like he's got a nice these strikeout stuff but the Tigers saw those strikeout numbers in 19 a guy who'd pitched and I'm highballing it here about 30 starts of good baseball really his whole career and they thought that they had the second coming with this guy and they held on to him and held on to him. And last year, he was one of the worst every fifth day starters in baseball. Do I think that that's going to stick this year? No, I think he'll improve. But the fact is, the point you brought up, they, they've had those guys that they developed that they could have dealed at the deadline and didn't. And I think it's really put them behind the eight ball uh, going forward. So, Bailey, I appreciate you joining us today, man. This was really a lot of fun. I'll make sure to plug all your social medias, plug your YouTube page. Uh, when you're on or when, when I, when I upload this uh, on Friday, appreciate you coming on brother. We'll keep in touch. And uh, thanks a lot. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Cause it's awesome. All right. Thank you, Chris. All right. That's all she wrote. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again to Bailey. That guy is such a, such a kind hearted, nice guy. I was very, very appreciative of him coming on. And I'll be honest with you. 
I'm really proud of myself right now. I think we nailed that. Maybe some of you will go back and listen and be like, eh, you know, it was all right. That is my favorite thing that we have done on the podcast so far. I'm very proud of myself today, which is something I rarely ever say, so I'm pretty pumped. You can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014 while you're at it. Go to Apple Podcasts, go to iTunes, leave a written positive five-star review of this program. Oh, yeah, and you can follow this show on Twitter at LockedOnTigers. I appreciate all of you. We'll be right back here on Monday covering a little bit more Tigers news. May have a guest, may not. Things are moving forward. I really appreciate you sticking with me. Have a great weekend, everybody, and go Tigers.